0: All right, we're back with Rock is part with Manuela, Dr. Manuela Joanno. Uh, We were just talking about uh, the spiritual side, and we'll get to that in a second. Let me just uh, give a word out to uh, my sponsor. Uh, That's Army Guy Graphics. You can find Army Guy Graphics on Facebook. He puts your war stories, takes your war stories, and turns them into pieces of art. So if you have a specialty need, a decal, a t-shirt, a banner, whatever, uh, Steve at... Army guy graphics can do it for you. So back to you, Manuela. We're we're talking about uh, spiritualism.
1: You know that is such a difficult topic. Um, years ago, well, back in two thousand sixteen, the Canadian College of Family Physicians they put out this thing that used to be called Dangerous Ideas Soapbox, and they invited physicians from across Canada to submit ideas that weren't being talked about but should be talked about because they could be game changers in family medicine. Ideas that were dangerous, risky, novel, controversial. And I thought about all the things that we do in our project trauma support and it was kind of like check, 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 we got all the things. So I put in a submission and they, they told me there was 128 applicants that year from family physicians across Canada. And um, this is one of my high water watermarks. Um, mine was chosen as one of the four finalists. And what my submission was that the idea for Project Trauma Support, it's novel because, you know, we kind of took some things that we had seen that worked um, and then put a whole lot of other things around it and, you know, mixed it up the way we like to do. Um, It was controversial because we're actually looking at encouraging people to start on their own spiritual journey, their own soul searching, their own quest for meaning, so, you know, going into the spiritual world and realm is something that we just don't do in medicine. It's totally no, forbidden. It's nixed, It's You just don't go there.
0: An Icelandic doctor and nurse that I worked with did go into the spiritual side of things. They, they're definitely more of an Eastern uh, medicine uh, model than a Western medicine model. Uh, they, they found spirituality to be very important in the treatment of uh, their patients. I, I worked with them for a while in uh, Croatia, and uh, it was... It was just such an amazingly different approach to medicine. And um, his patients all thrived, so for the majority of them anyway. Uh, I'm not sure I would agree that you need to believe or think of something greater than yourself. What do you mean by that, something greater than yourself?
1: Well, you know, this is something that I've been trying to figure out my entire life, I swear. I've always been a student of the human condition. I've always tried to figure out... "Mm." How does this work? So maybe I should just kind of give you a little bit of background here. I was born into kind of a unique family. My mother um, grew up in Poland in the Second World War. She was an early teenager, and you know what happened there. Her family was not Polish, but many of her friends were. So, you know, I don't think I need to explain too much of what she witnessed and what she went through. And um, she became a very devout Old World Catholic My father grew up in Cyprus. He very early on decided he really didn't like the Greek Orthodox religion, which he felt was back in the 16th century. He was very science-minded. He went on to become an engineering physicist. So they both ended up meeting at the University of Toronto. My mom was studying philosophy. My dad was in the engineering physics program. And uh, they were just polar opposites in the way they looked at the world. You know, like I said, my mom was very, very Catholic. My father was very loudly self-proclaimed atheist. Mm-hmm. And uh, so made for some interesting conversations in our household, especially when my mother's brothers came up. And, of course, they'd been in the war. They were actually, because my grandfather was German, mm-hmm. my uncles were actually taken to, um, you know, fight on the German side. And they were definitely impacted by it. And they also had their own brand of religion. And, um, you know, it was pretty loud and clear in their lives. So... When they came up to visit from the States, there were some interesting conversations in our household. So I kind of grew up in a house where if someone said the word God, I wanted to die behind the couch (laughs) because I just saw a huge fight coming. Incoming. Yeah, so I was kind of confused, I guess, because I, you know, both my parents were very strong personalities, but just so polar opposites, so... I mean, I was much more like my dad—very science-based, very much wanting to, you know, study the physics and math and sciences—and very much drawn to medicine. But um, then I sort of still had that questing side from my mother, and so I think my whole life I've just been trying to figure out, like, how do you bridge that divide? And I don't think they're mutually exclusive. And I honestly have to say, my dad was a really good teacher. He went on to become a, you know, an engineering professor. And uh, he was really good at explaining difficult concepts, but he loved to talk to us about physics. But he also talked to us about kind of all the really neat things that you can see around you all the time that are happening that are really, really cool. Sort of a lot of unseen forces. And I do believe there are lots of things that are happening behind the curtain that we can't see directly but we can see the evidence of and the more we want to open ourselves up to observe those things the more intriguing life becomes so when you ask me what I think about connecting to something greater I really think you don't have to be formally religious to be able to perceive and appreciate an essence and I do think there's just a whole other world of perceiving behind a very film flimsy, filmy curtain that you can step into and get a totally different perspective if you so wish to go there and that's i think where the psychedelics can come in because they can actually launch you into that other way of perceiving
0: other way of perception perceiving any particular matter then um well this is a whole other podcast really <laughs>
1: so oh, we can go for a long time like i said i've studied this for many many years yeah.
0: i mean i i became interested in the eastern religions through uh a psychologist friend who's buddhist and uh, her husband who became buddhist because she was buddhist kind of thing and uh, they introduced me to a lot of different concepts and gave me a lot of reading material and it just and a japanese friend i had and how how the japanese form of buddhism and you know the rest of the world's form of buddhism are different but still link up um but uh, yeah we'll get back to how, how this is important to uh the treatment of uh, people. So there's a third level of uh, of um, perception, if you will, that we can't fully perceive, but you feel there's something there that has yet to be explained. Does that sort of sum it up for you correctly?
1: Yeah, I talk about that third level of connection, and I think it is a connection to something greater than yourself. I mean, the classic book that describes this is Viktor Frankl's book, Man's Search for Meaning. And, um, you know, he really talks about how people can withstand anything in the most tra- tragic and painful circumstances. Of course, he wrote about his experience in a concentration camp in the Second World War. And he brings the point forth that you can pretty much stand anything if you have some meaning attached to it. You have some purpose. You have some reason to survive and um, it's just such a timeless classic book. If you haven't read it, I would. What's it called? Man's Search for Meaning. Viktor Frankl who's a psychiatrist who landed in one, actually a couple of concentration camps. And it, it sounds like a horrible setting for a book, but it's really not about the atrocities in a concentration camp. Viktor Frankl? Yes. F-R-A-N-K-L. It's really a book about the human spirit, human endurance, and the ability for people to do that soul-searching and to find some deep, deep spiritual and existential resources that can allow them to withstand that degree of suffering.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I I look at it as, uh, you know, not finding a meaning. Can't life be its own meaning itself? Like how you interact with others, Um, not if you're a good person or a bad person, but our just being here is is meaning um,
1: that's what I like to call our second level of connection <laughs> connection to other people there's an energy in yeah. every interaction that yeah. we don 't pay attention to
0: yeah, I would agree I'm not supposed to be agreeing to that I, I would definitely to me, the whole spiritualism thing there's so many people that say oh i 'm not uh, a follower of organized religion i 'm more spiritual. And immediately the scent of patchouli comes in, in and uh, I think hippie. <laughs> but, you know, wh- what does spiritual mean?
1: You know, to me it's like cop-out. Oh my goodness, that's such a good question. And it turns a lot of people off, right? And, you know, I, I got to see the formal religion piece growing up, and... You know there's um I don't even know who said this but it's a quote that I really love somebody said you know most people's earliest experiences with religion served of someone of a vaccine you just got a little bit of it just enough to make sure you never got the real thing yeah. and you know I I have so much respect for what a person's faith brings to them the strength the resilience the determination to be a better person and to do good in the world. I think that's the real gem mm-hmm. of any type of religious practice or belief, as long as it does bring good into the world. Because, boy, boy, have we ever seen examples where it does the exact opposite? It
0: seems so seldom that it does.
1: Spirituality, to me, is a different energetic state. And it's really hard to explain in words. It's um, <laughs> A word that they use in the psychedelic literature is ineffable. Ineffable? Ineffable. Affable, it's, okay. I-N-E-F-F-A-B-L-E. It's, that means you can't really explain it in words. But to me, I guess I've learned to look at things energetically. And just like there can be an exchange of energy in any interaction you have with a person, whether it's, I always like to say, you know, someone that you have a very deep personal connection with, or just the checkout girl at Walmart, Every, every fleeting relationship with anybody, there's an exchange of energy. And I think if you pay attention to that, you can be really quite uplifted by it, and you can help to uplift other people and make their day go better just by how you interact with them. But this concept of spirituality, to me, is really connecting to something greater. Now, there are people who believe in a god or gods or some external being that kind of pulls the puppet strings in life. I I Like I said, I have so much respect for people, their belief system, as long as it's something that makes you a better person and makes yeah. the world a better place. But not everyone's ready to go there and not everyone conceive of, you know, an entity greater than themselves. And I always say to people, well, if you're not ready to believe in that type of entity that does, you know, design everything and, and make everything happen the way it does, then think about your own highest being, your own creative self, your own intuitive self, that wise self that has that kind of sixth sense of intuition or innuendo or like Funny when we run our groups I like to ask people like have you ever been in a situation where you don't know why you knew but you knew you had some sixth sense some intuition that said get out of here now or call this person or do this and you know it, it comes to you in such a strong message that you just act on it and it was just the right thing and maybe it saved your life or maybe it saved a buddy's life I have a story
0: on that I'm driving my motorcycle back to uh it's actually happened to me on a, more than one occasion so, uh, now that we've gone down this rabbit hole and became a whole new podcast, um, what I was following this, uh, this motorhome, and on the top of the motorhome was a, uh, a big wooden boat, and I'm cruising along, and I'm thinking, that would really suck if that blew off right now. I had just made a left-hand turn into a coffee shop, and the damn thing came off, shattered right where I would have been, and I'm going... What the fuck? <laughs> there's, yeah, there was definitely a WTF spiritual moment. Uh, there was nothing spiritual about my, uh, my um, response, but um, another time I was coming along and I'm thinking, it's about time moose are out. I, I should slow down. And I just came around the corner and there's this moose straight out there in front of me. I zigged left, he went right, and fortunately we never collided. But yeah, um, I'm with you there. But it didn't make me think of a god. Um, I don't know what it made me think that, of.
1: That's, that's okay. But you know yeah. what? We've had over 600 people through our program now. And I'd have to say, whenever I ask that question in a program, like has it ever happened to you that you just had some strange way of knowing something, you know, that intuition, pretty much everybody's had a story like that. Yeah. So what I say to people, you know, just as an mm. invitation, I, I never tell anybody what to believe. I just believe it's such a personal journey how yeah. you want to play this But I tell people, if you're not ready to appreciate an external essence or energy or entity, then think about your own highest self, your own most intuitive self. And I do believe that that part of you, that innate wisdom is somehow connected to something greater. But that's just my personal point of view. Yeah, I I
0: kind of look at it more as a a primitive um, instinct or, or response that we've done away with because we don't have the same dangers facing us anymore. But I I think that when man first started walking the planet, he had these, if not extra senses, senses that were more, he was more attuned to. And uh, that, that thing about, I should turn off now and get a coffee, and the boat blown off, was just that ancient instinct thing. There's instake. The the
1: but what you're talking here is premonition, right? This is exactly an extra sensory perception, yeah. ESP. It's it's a way of knowing something that doesn't really make scientific sense. Mm-hmm. You know, my dad being the <laughs> eternal scientist, everything was science, 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 everything was physics, he said to me, you know, if you don't understand physics, you don't understand the world around you. Um he gave me the greatest gift before he died. He told me he actually believed in ESP. I'm thinking, Dad, what did you just say? <laughs> like my, But he studied so much. He was very well-read. And, you know, he did. He told me about a time years ago in England where he'd been at a demonstration where somebody was, you know, on the stage showing their powers of ESP. And um, my dad was ever the analyst and, you know, really very, very intelligent. And I wish I'd gotten more of his brains, but he um, was really trying to figure out how this guy was doing what he was doing on the stage. And and my dad just came to the conclusion that he was the real deal. Like there was just no scientific way of explaining the way this guy was picking up Mm -hmm. his signals and messages. And so, you know, that, that was a real gift that my dad gave me because it just kind of opened up a whole new world of me being more aware but you know I do believe there's all kinds of unseen forces at work all around us and it's funny like if people just want kind of scorn and guffaw when I say that I sort of said okay well if you don't believe in unseen forces let's talk about gravity yeah you know let's talk about the Bernoulli effect there's all kinds of things around that demonstrate that there are other forces that we are oblivious to most of the time
0: right Okay, we're we're staying in the rabbit hole just a second. So, so there's these unseen forces, but gravity—you can demonstrate it again and again and again. Yeah. Um, so it's it's not quite the same as an ESP experience.
1: No, it's not. But I'm just saying that. You know. Okay, we are going down a rabbit hole here. <laughs> um,
0: we'll we'll, uh, we'll we'll cut this up so we have two different podcasts here. From the looks of things.
1: Okay. No problem. So. I just, you know, I've been wanting to write a book. Mm-hmm. I've been wanting to write a book since I was 12 years old, believe it or not. I still haven't written it because it keeps evolving. Um, but I really kind of felt like if there was ever a good challenge, a cosmic assignment, if you will, for me, it would be to try to encourage people who are naysayers, academics, um, the real kind of... Um, Science based people to just open up their realm of expansion and appreciation and just take a step
0: away from skepticism, away
1: from skepticism, and just be open and just see what could come to you. And you know, I I have uh, quite a few people around me that I work with who I would put in the skeptical academic category, and I kind of In my own mind, they don't know this, but in my own mind, I think of them as my target people, like my <laughs> my avatar, if you would, for this book. Like, how could I explain it to, say, our internist, um, the thoughts that I have and the things that I've experienced? It's such a personal journey. But I mean, I, I'm i going to get philosophical here for a second. I really believe that we're here on Earth for a relatively short period of time to grow and evolve spiritually. Again, I'm using that word I think sometimes it's a little bit more palatable if instead of saying spiritually, we say energetically. Mm Because I do think when you open yourself up to new realms of perceiving and receiving information, it's such a game changer. I mean, I think it can launch you into a totally different energetic orbit of how you show up in the world. The energy that you can get from your interactions with other people and with nature, Mm -hmm.
0: That sounds like the segue right back to where we were drugging this person. <laughs> sure.
1: I mean, you know, people look at plant medicines, the uh, psychedelics as, mm-hmm. you know, a gift from the a gods. Right? Mhm. So, yes, we can get back to that topic.
0: Right. So, so we're we're in the the room you're about to uh, uh I've been given the ketamine and um I am during this experience t- talking and someone's taking notes. How how are these notes that you get, how do they offer you insight into the person's real issues?
1: Can we backtrack a bit? Because there's sure. so much work you have to do before you actually get to taking the drug, if we're going to do yeah. it well. Yep. Because, you know, the drug does afford these non-ordinary states that can kind of lead to new perceptions, eureka's, aha moments, you know, epiphanies even. But to truly appreciate them. I think you need to do some work um, in terms of the mindset and looking at where a person is, what they hope to get out of it. Um, So there's a lot of groundwork that should be done, I think, if you're going to do it, you know, effectively, safely, and to the greatest advantage. So long before we even give anyone ketamine, we want to set the group, we want to bond the group, which You know, can be done nicely, especially if you've already had people that, you know, have had some group experience. And there's a big debate within the psychedelic assisted psychotherapy community. Do you go into a journey with a drug, with an intention, with some idea of what you want to get out of it? Or do you just go in, you know, wide open, like hit me with your best shot kind of thing? So I think it's really important that. You set yourself to have the attitude that whatever comes to you, whatever insights, whatever the journey brings to you, it's going to be a good thing. Even if it's scary, even if you have visions or memories or like demonic things come to you. Um, I think it's really important to whatever it happens, whatever it comes to you, you just go in with the attitude that, okay, there's a reason this is coming to me.
0: There will be growth.
1: There will be growth. And sometimes, you know, growth means getting pulled through a keyhole and door and it feels very painful. But once you get to the other side, you think, phew, that sucked. But uh, here we are. and This looks a lot nicer. So, you know, when people have a really scary experience, this is where it's really important that you have them in a setting with the right people where they're really comfortable and they feel like, you know, if they're kind of tripping a little bit, there's... Security. There's somebody sitting with them. Somebody right there, immediate, immediately uh, available. They know. Someone they know and they're comfortable with. Yeah. So all that has to go into the preparation before you actually administer the medication. So,
0: talking about preparation, there for a moment. How long does a uh, someone come in before actually receiving the the ketamine? Like, do you have uh, days or hours or weeks or some? Um.
1: Well, I think that really depends on the relationship that you have with your therapist or the clinician that's, you know, working with you. If you're starting from scratch, myself, I really want to spend a few good hours with a person. If it's someone that we know, whether they've been through a program or, you know, it's been a patient that I've been doing psychotherapy with for a long time, then it's a lot easier. But um, I think it's really important to have a really good background, you know. Not only do you want to know where they are psychologically, psychiatrically, medically, but the beauty of the medication is that it offers an opportunity to get people unstuck. So if you have a good idea of where they may have become stuck in their own healing journey, then you can do a little bit more targeted and integrative psychotherapy with them. You can do some more preparatory work. And there's a number of different psychotherapy modalities that are very helpful in helping identify where people might be stuck such as well there's um internal family systems okay. um ifs um that has really been pioneered by richard schwartz and it talks about how you have different parts of your personality i'm not an expert in it i've read about it and it sure makes a lot of sense to me there's different parts Of your personality that develop over the years, you know, based on early childhood experiences, that um, you know, you've got your vulnerable parts, you've got the parts that are robes to protect the vulnerable parts, and there's quite an interplay. And you know, we all have our paradigms, and we all have these resolves and promises we make to ourselves based on early childhood experiences that were pretty astounding. Um, and had a strong emotional reaction attached to them. So sometimes these personalities that arose to protect you when you were young or these promises and paradigms that you took on when you were young, they, they can take you so far in life. They can really be what we call syntonic, where yep. they, um, they work, you know? Like some of the things may be... You will never back down. You will never ask for help. You will fight to protect the vulnerable against the bullies. And it's a no-fail mission. You know, these are the kinds of things people take on in very early life. And then there's people who are, you know, really abused and have had horrible upbringings. And, you know, they may be the ones that have a complex PTSD picture. And then there's so much vulnerability and pain in some of the experiences. And people just don't want to go there. They don't want to go there. It's just too painful to remember. And um, so you have to be very sensitive. So there's so much exploratory work that really should be done before you just give someone a drug.
0: Yeah. So the short answer to that is everybody's different and your approach to everybody has to be different. There's no one size matches all kind of thing.
1: And again, I guess anyone that's working in this field, our greatest fear is that this could become the Wild West and there's going to be a lot of... um, kind of careless, cavalier use of these drugs and they're going to ruin it for everybody. That's what happened with LSD, right? And there are people who believe that we've lost decades of research that could have really brought us some better medications and better approaches to mental health care.
0: I mean, you you look at marijuana. I mean, I'm a little skeptical on on some of the research out there on that, but I mean, it does seem to help some people and for those that don't, well, you find something that does. Um, LSD. I mean, it was a Schedule One drug in the U.S. and Canada, so you couldn't do any uh, experiments, except if you were in the military and they experimented on you. Um, so, so, and that that native tribal knowledge that's been there for centuries, we left untapped for well for decades because of the war on drugs, and um, where where as you say, all that lost research time because of closed-minded bureaucrats. Well, and 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 there there were some, yeah, Yeah. there were some
1: cavalier things that were done too. I mean, when you look at the Timothy Leary story, I mean, there's things that could have been done differently. Yeah. But of course we all learn things as we go along, right? Right. But, um.
0: Timothy Leary being the acid guru. Mm. Yeah.
1: Drop out, turn out, turn in, tune in.
0: (laughs) Drop out, tune in, tune in, drop out. I don't know what it was, but there was a lot of dropping going on.
1: Yeah. So we, we don't want to repeat that again, but you know sort of this is a long way to get around to the point that I really believe that moral injury is something that needs so much more attention. And we're seeing it now in a lot of medical people, the frontline people that are dealing with COVID. I mean, there's just so much potential for moral injury there. So I think we really need to um, try to get a better handle on the anatomy of moral injury, which really is the anatomy of the soul of a person, you know, which it's so nebulous. I mean, how do you... How do you measure a soul? doesn't show up on the MRIs. How do you try to figure out what's really happening to a person? And this is where I think we need to explore the whole idea of spirituality. Again, there's two separate worlds. You know, medicine and spirituality have not really come together. But I think these psychedelics offer a huge invitation for us to have those two worlds collide. And I think that's where the moral injury is going to be healed. That's my take on it.
0: So you you do feel that moral injury can be well do you feel that PTSD itself I mean it's kind of not a a reasonable question to ask you, but do you do you feel that PTSD itself can be is curable?
1: Hmm oh boy, I'm going to be giving you my personal opinion. It's only my personal opinion. But That's that, what you're here for. That comes from all the work that we've done. And I can say without any uncertainty that my work with Project Trauma Support and this this whole endeavor has taken over my life since 2014. So, And I didn't learn any of this in the textbooks or any courses I took, really. It's just we've learned by sitting with people human beings having human experiences that are out of the normal realm of human experience. You know, the military folks and the first responders, and I mean, the extraordinary becomes ordinary in their lives. So, you know, looking at how people face these extremely traumatic situations that bring you face-to-face with, you know, trauma. When you look at the definition of, you know, post-traumatic stress disorder and you look at the diagnostic criteria the first thing is you need trauma you need yeah. trauma that is life-threatening um life-ending or you know they've put in the last edition of the dsm also repeated examining of sordid details of terrible things like you know even jurors or you know people who are doing the homicide investigations that kind of thing so you need a big t trauma to actually get a formal diagnosis of ptsd so we've had the opportunity like it's Ms been such a privilege to sit with people who are going through these most extraordinary experiences. And so that's where my training comes from. So you're asking me, can PTSD be cured? Is that right? Yeah. So here's my take on it. I think that when we're just focusing on PTSD, we have missed the vast majority of what this injury is. And I think until we start opening up and expanding our arcs of fire, and we include the moral injury piece. We're just not going to be as effective as helping people as we think we'd like to be.
0: Yeah, and and again, that sort of ties in with the Icelandic doctor and nurse I worked with because they did look at that that uh, spiritual piece, if you will. And uh, we in the West are so stuck on the on the do this, do that, do this. If you see this, then do this. There's no there's no veering from the. Uh, um, from the algorithm you just and i mean trauma is trauma is trauma like physical trauma i mean you you see a vessel and he's bleeding out do you stop that um but how how do you do the same thing with a moral injury you can't stop that i mean people are going to do horrible shit to each other for as far as i can see down the road and uh there's going to be other guys like me or you who witness that and suffer from it. I mean, you may, you may be able to do what you can to help them out. Um, I think back to that Croatian guy that wanted the clean needles for his heroin use. And, uh, you know, the, our model said, you don't give the guy clean needles because he's just going to inject heroin. Well, he's going to inject heroin anyway, and he's going to do it unsafely back home somewhere. And, you know, he had gone through some horrid shit, horrible shit. And, um, what are you gonna do? Are you gonna say no? Lots of people would. I wasn't going to. Statute of limitations have run out on this, I'm sure. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, I am sure, but I couldn't. I couldn't see. You know, he had no support at home. There were no psychologists. There were no skilled doctors. Um, he had nowhere to turn to. So on on his time at home, which was every you know month or so, he used heroin to escape. What are you escaping? The nightmares. We. Uh, freaking it's nightmares. And uh I might get the emotional part. I, I brought this up for uh, the talk with Bob and Derek and uh, Royce there. Mm-hmm. And they said, yeah, you're not uh, suffering from any, uh, anything. You're not withholding any information kind of thing. Um, so I think everybody that experiences these things goes through some sort of uh, trauma, whether it's physical or, or moral trauma, which is much more difficult because you can't see it. You know, you you can't. I mean, eventually you can you can get a feel for it, what a person's going through. That's the empathetic part of you, um, which you have in abundance, by the way. Um, but yeah, for the most part, you you can't see it, so it's it's hard to to get at. And how everybody has a different uh, moral um, stance. Yeah, um, I don't know where I'm going with that, but I think I think morally, it, it's. It's no easy fix.
1: So, getting back to your last question, you know, I love to see the fact that you're human and that, you know, these things are still tugging at your heartstrings and have a claw in your heart and soul. It means you're human.
0: It's a lump of coal.
1: I <laughs> <laughs> like so. But can this be healed? Well, can we heal the human condition is really the, the question, right? Yeah. Can we recover from trauma? And What I say to all of our people that come through our program is you did not go through all this for nothing and your story is not over yet. And I also believe that you cannot heal from a moral wound on your own. I really think you need that connection. I think you need those three levels of connection. The way you tell your story to yourself. I mean, that's narrative therapy, right? And there's lots in the literature that supports the benefits of just how you tell your story, just writing it out or talking to somebody else about it. There's also that connection to other people. We need other people to share the burden with us. We need somebody to sit there and help us with the load that we're carrying. You know, when we think about moral injury, we think about shame and guilt, and the overwhelming sadness, and the sense of demoralization, the sense of injustice, if you've had this sanctuary trauma. And how can you sit there by yourself and deal with this? Shame and guilt are sort of interesting things. The difference between shame and guilt, you know?
0: No. What is the shame and guilt difference? Well, it's... it's <laughs> I, I, I think of shame as something that um, um, is a public... Public exposition of your guilt.
1: Oh, yeah, very good. <laughs> a lot of people don't get this. It's such a basic difference. But, you know, you can sit in a corner all by yourself and feel very guilty. You know? Yeah. Um, if you've been you know, taught to believe what's right and wrong and you got caught your hand in the cookie jar or whatever, you know, you, you can feel guilty. You be, but shame requires the reflection of judgment of others. Like you can't have shame without having other people to yeah. make you feel shameful, yeah. right? So that's the difference. So if you have a lot of guilt and shame and you did th- things you wish you didn't or you didn't do something that you wish you did or you didn't do it fast enough, it only makes sense that the way you heal from that is to have other people around. There is no better salve for your soul or your conscience than having somebody beside you who hears your story and was there too did exactly the same thing and can say yeah buddy like oh man i get that i i I went through exactly the same thing and hey you were just doing your job like good job you know good job it could have happened to any of us like that's where healing happens and i think the the catholics were on to something with their you know sacrament of um, confession because confession is good for the soul but Mm -hmm. it's so much better if You can tell your story to someone who truly gets it because they've been there and they resonate so much with it. And when they're willing to share in whatever guilt or shame or whatever you're feeling or absolve you a little bit. But then again, if you feel bad about something, you know, maybe you just need to get it off your chest and you maybe just need to say, God, I'm so sorry that happened.
0: Well, I I think that's part of if this thing I've got going here um, has any, any benefit at all is that people that come here and tell their story, they get relief. So I may not be the priest. (laughs) I'd I'd make a damn poor priest. Um, But it's like the confessional. They come, they unburden themselves. It's so often why people tell um, a harassment um, accusation on a Friday. They get it off their chest. They've now dumped it onto somebody else for the weekend. And now that person has to deal with it. I'm not quite equating the two, but confession is good for them so they talk about it and hopefully something good comes of that maybe maybe somebody else comes to your trauma or your project trauma support or you know they they talk to somebody else and say yeah that's it that's how i feel let's let's keep talking and uh i think i think yeah sharing that that is important
1: There's a really interesting TED talk that was given by a police officer who spent like 30 years um, in his territory was the Golden Gate Bridge and he was able to talk a very good number of people into turning around when they were ready to jump and end it all and it's a really good talk if you have a chance to look at it and he makes the point that you know people who are really suffering and they feel so alone and so trapped in their pain sometimes all they need is Somebody to care. Somebody to sit there and listen and make them feel like they matter. You know, you can't underestimate the power of just showing up for your fellow human being. And like I said, that's that second level of connection I'm talking about. It's just so powerful. And it's just so disheartening to see what's going on in the world today when, you know, everything seems to be about attacking other people and this division and canceling and, you know, separateness.
0: The the Ottawa situation.
1: Oh boy, we're not going to no. go there. <laughs> no,
0: no, we we won't. <laughs> well, we'll touch on it briefly, but that's the kind of thing that's so divisive. Yeah. I, mean.
1: I wish people would understand, and I posted this on our, our closed alumni Facebook page this morning, you know, the true enemy is that what divides us. Who said that? I don't know, but I, I read it somewhere and um, it's really stuck with me and I think it's ringing very loudly right now.
0: yeah. The one that sticks with me is and I don't know who who wrote it uh it, it was on the back of a uh, cover for uh, I think the book with Eric and he had a he had a, he was a kid with leukemia and his his quote that he'd put up on the wall or the fridge whatever it was is uh, we're all in a all in a small boat a stormy sea, and we owe each other great loyalty and uh not only did that roll off the tongue but it made sense you know. You need exactly what I need. Whether you are a pygmy in the African savanna or living high on the hog here in Petualla, you know we all need the same things. And human contact is one of them. And and, and not making judgments on that person who um, had the abortion, or um, not making judgments on somebody who you know gave their child up. Um, these these are these are things that are bigger bigger than us. You know, it's it's a universal thing. And, and, you know, making judgments on these people, it's not helpful.
1: You know, I might sound like a placard-carrying hippie here, but I really believe that what our world needs is more love and less judgment. Because, you know, things happen to anybody, and we all make mistakes. And, you know, I don't want to live in a world where we never forgive anybody, where we never give anybody another chance, where, you know, if somebody has made unfortunate choices, they're going to be, you know, publicly shamed, put in stocks, tarred and feathered, stoned, whatever, forever, and they're just never given another chance. Because, I mean, the human condition is such that we're going to stumble, we're going to fall. We don't always have all the information at our fingertips or in our brains to be able to make really astute decisions, especially you know, when you look in the emergency services and the first responder warrior, or sorry, first responder world. Yeah. <laughs> You're forced so often to make life and death decisions on split second with incomplete information, like who can get it right every time. And we're all going to make mistakes, you know, various types. And there's the ones that, you know, you get away with. Oh, yeah. Missed that stop sign. Thank goodness no one's coming. But, you know, sometimes you hit a bus. You just don't know, right? So in the emergency department, we have the saying there, but for the grace of God go I. Yeah. You know, very often we're just missing those bullets that are flying around all the time, figuratively speaking. And of course, you folks in the military, well, they're actual bullets and our police, same kind of thing. So I have so much respect for what you do. But, you know, we're not going to heal ourselves collectively in society with division and attack and canceling. And, you know, in my my very <laughs> skewed, maybe, worldview, um, the problem I see is ego. There's another book I wish everybody would read, and that's by Ryan Holiday, The Ego is the Enemy.
0: You'll have to send me that one.
1: I sure will. It's so worth reading. And, you know...
0: Hold that thought, The Ego is the Enemy there. Uh, Manuela Joannu. Joannou, Joannou. <laughs> I'm getting
1: worse. It's okay. I answered anything at this point.
0: <laughs> all right.